Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. All right. Well, we're here to celebrate Jesus, and I just want to start here at the top. You know, Jesus walked this earth for 33 years. He lived a life born as a baby. He's fully God and fully man, and that is a great mystery that we will fully understand when we get to heaven. But that's, he was born a baby and lived 33 years here. The last three years of his life were his ministry years. And the records of Jesus' life are found in your Bible. Your Bible is divided into two parts. The Old Testament, that's everything before Jesus walked this earth. And then the New Testament, that's everything after it, because everything changed. <coughs> those records, those four records, are four people who either saw him firsthand or took records or accounts from people who saw him firsthand. And that's the, the letters of or the books in your Bible known as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These guys walk with Jesus or walk with the people that did, and they took his whole life and they, they put it on paper. Now, what's interesting is about the record of Jesus' life, when you begin to look at the different books, as you study them out, you'll find that, that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke took about a third of their letters and dedicated it to the last week of his life. Now, 33 years, a third of the book is now on the last week of his life. That's the important part, right? It's the time that he walks into Jerusalem up until the time that he is crucified and risen and then exits this earth. A third, John actually uh, took it more than half, almost half of his book uh, to, to describe it as well, that last week. And so it's really, really important that we focus on his, on his last week, specifically around his death, burial, and his resurrection. And that's what we're doing today, obviously, right? We're celebrating that, that he died on the Friday, he rose from the dead on the Sunday. That's exactly what happened, right? But, but it's as important as it is to focus on his rising from the dead, it's also important to note what happened around that time, too. What happened after he rose from the dead? Because his work was done, right? Technically, it's over. I don't know about you, but when, when, the, when my time is up and 5 o'clock hits, I'm clocking out, I'm done, right? I'm not sticking around for anything. Can anybody? Can anybody yep. Yeah, okay. Can I, all right. There's somebody here that understands that. I'm done. Work's over. I'm checking out, clocking out, going home. I'm chilling, right? Not Jesus. Jesus hangs out, and there's a reason why he hangs out. And so I think it's important that we take a look at why he stuck around. What did he do after he rose from the dead? And what happened was these very interesting encounters that are recorded throughout Scripture. So, so let's get to it, and we're going to look at it through the lens of John's account of it all. And I just want to show you some, some things here. So we're going to be in John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'll also throw the verses up on the screen. But it says, early on the first day of the week, so it's Sunday, by the way, for them. It says, while it was dark, so it's early in the morning, Mary Magdalene, pause. Mary Magdalene is a woman that Jesus cast seven demons out of. She was a follower and a financier of Jesus' work in his ministry. And so she shows up. It says the first day of the week, it's early in the morning. She goes to the tomb, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Pause. Why is the stone there in the first place? This is not customary. It's because the religious leaders of the day went to the Romans and who were oppressing the Jewish people at that time and said, hey, this body of Jesus, 
this guy that we just crucified, we're concerned that his legacy is going to live on and that his disciples are going to do that by stealing the body because there's this prediction, this prophecy that he would raise from the dead. And so they put a huge stone that it would take many men to move in front of the tomb, and they even put guards there. But Mary is shocked to see there's no guards and there's no stone in front of the tomb. Everything was rolled away. She is somebody who walked with Jesus. She's somebody who saw him crucified and die, buried. And now she shows up to the tomb to find that it's empty. The verse continues on and it says, So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. The other disciple, by the way, this is how John talks about himself. John, when he's writing this letter, doesn't say to Peter and I. He always talks about himself, calls himself the other disciple, or if you keep reading, the one Jesus loved. Now, there's humor in your Bible, guys. You just got to look for it, okay? Now, I'm not sure why the Holy Spirit allowed him to put this in here, but John's got his personality all over this. He wants you to know, as the author, multiple times, Jesus and I were besties. Like, we was cool. Right? We kicked it. So he says, Jesus, so so Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So she's under the impression that the, the Romans have moved the body or that somebody has stolen him. So Peter and the other disciple, that's John, started for the tomb. Now watch this. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. <laughs> now let me tell you something. If I got one of my besties and I'm, and I'm going to beat him and I'm going to put an eternal record out there for people to read, you better be sure that I'm going to include it. You know what I'm saying? And that's what John does. He said, so, so both of them running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, because he's not going to step into the tomb. He's a little apprehensive. He looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him. He wants you to know that he was straggling, right? Okay. Behind him and went straight into the tomb. Peter, Peter is uh, impetuous. He does not care. He's just going in. Bold as lying. I'm going in. He goes straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had wrapped around Jesus' head. Why is that important? Pause. Why does the Bible include that? Because it means the body wasn't stolen, y'all. The stuff that he was bound with, everything that was covered that covered his body when they buried him was laying there. That means he got up. Are y'all here this morning? He got up. He didn't stay there. That's what it tells us is the cloth was still in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, that's John just taking one more jab at Peter, also went inside. And what happened? He saw and believed. Now that's it. That's all that is given to this record of the resurrection in the Bible. That, that's, that's it. That's the, resur- the whole account of it. Except that there's more to this day. There's more around this event here. Jesus raises from the dead, and what he does is he appears five times that day to people to show himself alive, and then ten times more before he uh, raises back to heaven, before the ascension. And that should tell us something. Well, what does that tell us? Well, that should just tell us God's heart for people. That Jesus, who had walked this earth for 33 years, Spending time with people. His work is done, and he's so in love with humanity. He's so in love with you and I that he just can't 
help himself. He's got to spend more time with us. There's more work to be done. And I just think that that's beautiful. That's staggering to me. That the God of the universe cares so much for us that he just can't wait to be with us. And that may be contradictory to everything you've ever heard about God, but it's the truth. He loves you so much, he cannot wait to be with you. And he makes himself known to us, and he appears to us because he loves us, and he wants to do something in us. I just think that's beautiful. Now, back to the resurrection. I want you to think about this for a second. Everyone thinks you're dead. Like, if you were Jesus, put yourself there for a second. Everyone thinks you're dead. And now you show up. What are you going to do? Now, the prankster in me knows what I would do. If I was dead and I came back from, from the dead, the first person I would appear to you'd think would be my wife. But that would be wrong because she'd kill me for dying in the first place. Uh-huh. No, the first person I'd likely appear to is my mom and say, hey, mom, I'm okay. And then I, I, many of you know I do, I do sleight of hand magic, and I'd probably show up to my magic buddies and go, ta-da. What if you were Jesus? What if it wasn't your life? What if you were Jesus? Who would you show up to first? Would you, would you show up to Mary, to your mom, say, Mom, I told you I'd be okay? Would you? I, I'd probably show up to Pilate. He was the guy who sentenced me to death in the first place, and I'd be like, guess who's back, 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 back again? Jesus, back. Tell a friend, come on. Guess who's back, guess who's back. All right, never mind. Second people, it's okay to have fun in church. If you're not if you're if you're new to this, just lighten up a little bit, okay? I know it's a serious topic, but lighten up. Lighten up. Let's relax. Breathe. It'll be okay. The other big group of people I would appear to is the Sadducees. These are the religious leaders. There's two main groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees believe that once you die, that's it. You're done. You're in the dirt. That's where they're so sad, you see. Wow. Wow. But they, they have no hope. They don't believe there's a resurrection. And so I show up to that group and I just go, boo. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it's just interesting. But Jesus didn't do that. But, but it is interesting who he did appear to, though. And I think that, that the, if we take note of who he appeared to, I think we can all relate to some of their stories. And so I'm going to focus on three of them that he appeared to. And the first person uh, that Jesus chooses to appear to, it's always, it's always really, first are really important. Pay attention, okay, folks? First are really important. Who Jesus chooses to appear to first tells me everything I need to know about this dude and why I love him so much. Because Jesus does not appear to religious leaders. He did not appear to the politicians. He did not appear to the wealthy he appeared to someone who was oppressed. He appeared to someone who was culturally at that time considered to be less than. And Jesus wraps up his earthly ministry by doing what he did at the beginning of his ministry. Because see, at the beginning of his ministry, the very first person he announces that I am the Christ to is a woman who was rejected and a Samaritan who would have been an outcast 
She had three strikes against her. And Jesus chose to tell her, I'm the Christ. Well, he ends his ministry by doing the same thing and appears to a woman. Now, don't misunderstand me. I do not think that women are less. I'm saying that at that time, culturally, women were less than. They could not, be, they could not spend time with rabbis. They could not be educated. And here Jesus chooses to elevate someone who everyone else is trying to push down. By making them first. And I love that. And Jesus elevates those who are considered less than and discriminated against. And in John chapter 20 verse 11 it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. This is Mary Magdalene. She's heartbroken. And I want to say that, that, that right now this moment is for anybody who is heartbroken. Anybody who is going through something, anybody who right now you're smiling on the outside because that's what they taught you to do when you go to church, that everything's fine, I'm fine, it's fine. But you're dying on the inside and your heart is broken and you're hurting. Could be that you got a bad report about your health, maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe it's the end of the month and you don't have any money, or it's not even the end of the month and you don't have any money left. Maybe you've got an issue with your kids and something on the job it just isn't right. And you don't know how to fix it. You don't know how to get past it. You're grieving. You know, grieving isn't just about the loss of a loved one when they exit this world. Grieving is about the loss of a desired future. And when you lose that desired future, we grieve. Our hearts are saddened. So for any of you that are here today, I'm talking to you right now that if your heart is saddened, no matter what it is, I'm talking to you. The Bible says that while she was crying, she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Do you know what this tells me? It lets me know that when you cry, heaven pays attention. That I believe, friends, that there is not a tear that you have ever cried that will ever be wasted. There's not an ounce of pain that you have ever experienced that God won't use for your good and for his glory. Heaven takes notice. You may not feel that it does. You may not think that God is paying attention. But let me tell you something about pain. Pain is the great blinder. That when we are in pain, it is hard to see ourselves rightly. It is hard to see the world right. And it is hard to see God right to see what he is doing, to see where he is in the midst of our worst moments. It's hard. We are blinded by our pain. And she was in so much pain that the Bible says she could not even see what God was up to in that moment. She said to the angels, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around. It says she saw Jesus standing there. Now, I've been gone 60 days, but how many of y'all still recognize me when I stepped up here? This dude ain't been gone for three. She, it says she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was him. Why? Because pain is the great blinder. She could not see in this moment that God was so close. He was so close. And here's the first appearance of our Lord, and she's upset, and she's crying. And he chooses to appear to her first. She's brokenhearted. Her pain keeps her from recognizing him, though. But I'm here to tell you that you're the same as Mary. 
in the deepest and darkest moments of your life, it's hard to recognize when God is near. But the Bible promises us that the nature of God is such, which, by the way, once you understand the nature of God, you can trust that he's going to continue to show up that way. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he cannot violate his very own nature. And his nature is this, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Man, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. This is why she was the first he appears to. Not to mom, not to Pilate. He's attracted to her brokenness. And that's why he came. He came for broken people in the first place. And since this is true, I'm telling you, look for him. Jesus isn't as far away as you think. That's a good Easter message right there. But there's a second person Jesus shows up to after he raises from the dead. And John shows us who that person is. You probably heard of him before because he's got a name that kind of goes beyond Christendom. His name is Thomas, but you might know him as Doubting Thomas. Yeah, Doubting Thomas. Now, what's amazing to me is Thomas does all kinds of things, but it's just this one thing that he lives down in infamy for. You know what I'm saying? Gets a nickname. So what happens is after, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples but Thomas, Thomas missed out. He was absent. He wasn't in the group because Thomas checked out. Thomas thought it was all over with, done. Mission's done. Jesus is dead. So Thomas is one of those ones when Jesus like, hey, guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. Thomas was like, hey, let's go so we can all die too. So when Jesus died, he's like, later, guys, this was fun. See ya. He was doubting. And in John 20, 24, it says this. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which just means twin. That was his nickname because he had a twin brother. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas, of course, has missed out. And the other disciples were like, you snooze, you lose, bro. But seriously, he was here. He was here, and they want him to believe. But, you know, I got I to gotta kind of relate to Thomas. I think, I think this is how doubting people often feel because see doubters are not bad people doubters are just people that have missed out on something they've missed out on the experience you've had they can't relate to it they they've not experienced what you've experienced and so they can't understand it and when they doubt what happens for a doubter is they come to believe there's something wrong with themselves or that there's something wrong with you right and thomas was the same he missed out, so he couldn't believe. The other disciples wanted him to, so what Thomas does is he throws out some stipulations. He throws out a gamut and says, okay, you want me to believe? Here's what I need you to do. Here's what I'm going to need in order to believe. Now, that doesn't make Thomas a bad guy, by the way. Some of you are like, mm, you know, he just should have believed. It's better to believe than never have seen. That's scripture, actually. That's cool. That is true. But nobody beats him up like, like that. He's not a bad guy. And by the way, whatever your stipulations are, if you're sitting here today and you're a doubter, first of all, just know that you're welcome. I'm glad that you're here. And second of all, if you've got some doubts, your doubts don't intimidate God. <laughs> the God of the universe is not intimidated by your questions, by your queries, by your concerns. He welcomes your doubts. And at Simple Church, so do we. So Thomas, here's, what he's, here's his path to believe. He says, he says to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, 
which that would have been enough. But Thomas takes it a step further. He's like, and I got to put my finger in him. Unless I see the, the hole in his side, and I got to put my hand in there. Well, these are really gross things you want to do, Thomas. I could have seen it from like here, and I'd have been fine. Like, yeah, that's Jesus. But dude, homie wants to put his hand in there. He says, Let, it's weird. Yeah, it's just weird. But it's this over-the-top request, right? It's to maybe turn people off because, oh, that's just never going to happen. Whatever your over-the-top stipulation is for you to believe, we serve the God of the impossible, baby, and I love that. So that's, that's Thomas's line in the sand. Holes in the, fingers in the, in the holes, hand in the side. What's yours? What's your line in the sand? Whatever they are, your doubts won't keep Jesus away. He continues to appear to people. In fact, I think this is such an important topic that I'm going to start a series directly uh, next week called Doubting God. And I think it's really important. I'd love for you to join us. But watch how this plays out for Thomas. Jesus loves him so much that he appears just for him. It says in verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and made this next line very important. Peace be with you. Because they're behind locked doors, and suddenly Jesus is there. Once again, missing his opportunity to go, boo. He says, peace be with you. It's like, man, you wouldn't need to tell us that if you'd stop doing creepy stuff, Jesus. And then Jesus proceeds to chastise Thomas. Dude, can't believe this. You've been with me for three years. I don't know why you would doubt me. You never listened to me. You're just a doubting doubter, doubting Thomas. You're just a doubt, 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 doubt. <laughs> You'll forever be that. You're out of the club. In fact, everybody checked the group chat and said, Jesus has removed Thomas. <laughs> Jesus did none of these things, by the way. But sadly, isn't this how we treat people that doubt? It's how the church treats doubters. We abuse them. We chastise them. You can't be in the club. Let me tell you something. You can belong here before you believe. Isn't that right, everybody? We're okay with it. We shame doubters. We criticize them. We won't listen to them. We excommunicate them. And Jesus doesn't do that. He does not chastise or criticize Thomas's stipulations or his demands. He appears, and he takes those doubts head on. And it says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? He said, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And this was enough for Thomas. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. I love this, that Jesus met Thomas right where he was. Friends, he'll meet you in your brokenheartedness, and he'll appear to you and meet you in the middle of your doubts. That's how good Jesus is. But watch this. While Jesus is willing to show up, the Bible says that if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. And let me tell you something, God's steps are much bigger than yours. And I love that. But watch, Jesus does all the work. He says, I'm going to go 99%. I need you to come 1%, Thomas. I need you to reach out your hand. And I'm here to tell you today that if you will simply reach out, you'll find that Jesus is better than anything, anything you already think. If you're willing to reach out, you'll find Jesus isn't bothered by your doubts. He's just not bothered by them. 
So Jesus appears to the brokenhearted. He appears to the doubters. And the third person that John records that Jesus appeared to was someone who considered himself a complete and utter failure. These are not words that Jesus spoke to him, but it's how he felt. He's someone who had failed so epically because here's the scene. They're at dinner. There is tonight with Jesus' disciples. And they're talking, and Peter's like, Jesus, I love you so much, bro. Jesus, I love you too, Peter. Like, bro, let's just do this the rest of our lives. Like, dude, seriously, you know what? I don't care what happens. I know you're talking all this mess about what's supposed to happen in Jerusalem. Ain't nothing happened so far. But no matter what happens, Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing, by the way. He says, whatever happens, he said, I'm your homie, bro. I'm in it. I'm your ride or die. And Jesus said, actually, Peter, let me tell you something. He said, tonight, you're going to deny me that you even know me. You're going to do it three times before the rooster crows. Peter's like, nah, no way. And Jesus is like, Yahweh. (laughs) (sighs) Yahweh is the name of God that he's given to us in the Bible. Listen, you signed up for this. You welcomed me back. It's your fault. <laughs> and, of course, if you know the story, Peter does just that. He denies Jesus three times. And the Bible says that, that he was trying to get close to listen to this, this illegal nighttime trial that Jesus was on after he was captured in the Garden of Gethsemane and betrayed by Judas. Peter's just trying to listen, warming himself by the fire. And three times he denies him. The Bible says when the rooster crowed, Peter recognized what Jesus said came true. And he recognized his failure. And, the, and here's the thing. Jesus was close enough. The Bible says Jesus turned and looked at him. Peter saw him. <sighs> you ever disappoint somebody in your life before? Can you imagine the feeling? The instant shame. The instant feeling of failure. The weight of this is now on Peter. And he runs from the scene. Having denied his Lord and his Lord hurt him. He's broken. And his response to failure is what we do today. We believe that our failure drives Jesus away from us. We believe that it disqualifies us from a relationship with God. But the opposite is true. Failure actually attracts Jesus to us. And so Peter gives up on his mission. He said, I, because I failed, I, 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 can't, I can't serve Jesus anymore. I don't get to be a fisher of men, and so I'm just going to go back to being a fisherman. And that's what he does. And we do the same thing. We disqualify ourselves from God ever using us because of mistakes that we've made, because of choices that have happened. And we decide who God can use and who we can't. We let our failures and our disappointments determine that relationship. Peter was ashamed. He felt like he was a disappointment. Do you know what disappointment is? Disappointment is the gap between expectation and reality, right? You expected it to go this way, but it came this way. And, and the further those are, are, are from each other is the, is the size of our disappointment. Disappointment. We missed an appointment. But can I tell you something about God that you're going to love? God can never be disappointed. See, disappointment is for someone who doesn't know how things are going to turn out. They have expectations. 
But God, who is not bound by time or space that we occupy, already knows how things are going to turn out for you. He knows the mistakes you've made and the ones you will make. He's not surprised by your moments of failure. He's just not. And so by that nature, you can never, ever disappoint God. He knows it all. He knows it all. That means there's no reason for us to carry shame. Because God is not someone who has ever said, man, didn't see that coming. He's not that guy. He's never surprised. And he's not put off by your failures. He's attracted to it. And he wants you to know that he loves you and that he still has purpose for your life despite your failures and your mistakes. Man, that's a good message for Easter. He still appears. And this appearing despite our failures is something called redemption. He redeems it all, uses it for his purpose. He'll meet you right where you are in the middle of your failures and restore you because that's what he did for Peter. John 21, verse 15, Peter had gone back to fishing, but Jesus showed up. He's making lunch on the shore, and so the disciples row in when they realize it's Jesus. And it says, when they had finished eating, don't miss this, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He's talking about his, the rest of the disciples. Which, by the way, we kind of have to pause, and I have to explain this to you, that, that your Bible's written in, in three primary languages, the Old Testament and Hebrew the New Testament, primarily in Greek, some of it in Aramaic. But it was said historically about the time that everybody spoke a little Greek. And so if they wanted this letter to be understood by the masses, they, they wrote the New Testament in Greek. And that means that it has to be translated into English. And I don't know if you know much about translations, but some languages are richer than other languages. that They're more expressive. And in Greek, there are four words that translators would just translate to one English word, and it's the word love. But they mean different things. It's more expressive. The word eros, for example, we would translate to love, but it's more of a husband and wife kind of love. It's an erotic kind of love. Then there's this word bileo, which means a brotherly kind of love. It's like I love you and you love me and we're a happy family till we're not kind of thing. Right? Then there's this other word that's, that's agape, and this is a kind of love that, that only God has because it's this unconditional kind of love. We can receive that kind of love and give that kind of love once we've received it, but, but it's a, it starts with him because it's an unconditional love. And Jesus, when you look at the original translation, he says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He responds differently. You know I love you. Not, not the same way you love me, though, obviously. And Jesus says, that's okay. He says, feed my lambs. So I still got purpose for you. I can still use you, even if you don't love me the way that I love you. And Jesus tries again, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother, man, but just not the way you love me. I phileo you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. He's like, all right, I can still use you, man. It's all good. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, watch what Jesus does. 
as he meets Peter right where he is, and he changes the word, and he says, do you phileo me? This is how I love you, but let me just meet you here. Do you love me? He met Peter right where he was in the midst of his failure. And today, if you can relate, if you feel like a failure and that that failure has disqualified you from a relationship with God, you need to know that Jesus isn't giving up on you. That's a good message for Easter. That's a good message for any day. You're free to love him back even with all your mistakes. That's how good God is, my friends. Jesus shows up for people who are crying, doubting, and failing. But you know what? It wasn't just like this on the resurrection or after the resurrection. When you look in the Bible, you begin to see that God has been appearing to people like this from the very beginning to the very end. Check it out. The very first story of the Bible, after the creation story, is the story of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And God put them in this beautiful garden and gave them instructions around this one tree. Don't eat from it. Everything else is yours. But you know the story. You know that Eve was tempted and then she took some of the fruit, ate it, gave it to Adam and he ate it too. And, and they sinned. They missed the mark. They failed. And as a result of their failure, they're stressed out. They start hiding. They're afraid and they're now ashamed. And what does God do? He appears to them just after they eat the fruit. They've got this loss of innocence, and they're experiencing shame, which is what sin does to us, and they do what we do. They hid from God. In Genesis 3, verse 7 through 9, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But watch what God is doing. He's not stomping around. He's walking through the garden and he's calling out, where are you? Now remember, we're talking about a God who knows everything. He knew where they were. But he wanted, to hear, he wanted them to hear his tender voice calling them out of their hiding and out of their shame, which is what he's still doing for you today. Where are you? He's calling. He accepts you where you are because he's that good, but he's also good enough to not leave you where you are. Where are you? He's calling to them and he's calling to you. And that's the first story of the Bible, God appearing to those who are hiding and ashamed feel like failures the last story of the bible is just the same the last story of the bible is found in revelation so genesis is the first book in the bible revelation is the last one and it's again john is the author he's writing this and it's called a revelation because jesus reveals a whole bunch of stuff to him that's going to happen in the last days which by the way we in them i don't know if you're paying attention but we in them Mm -hmm. we're definitely in the midst of that time period not to scare anybody, I'm just telling you. This, this book is kind of hard to understand through John's eyes because, man, John is being shown all kinds of things that are happening today. Can you imagine seeing all the technology of today like 2,000 years ago? I'd be freaking out losing my mind. Like, John, did you eat some weird mushrooms on that island you're sitting on, bro? Because this is trippy, but it's God's word. But it's God's word. He did the, be- he did the best to describe what he could, what he understood. 
But Jesus speaks in this book too. And one of the last words he says in Revelation 3, verse 20, he says, I stand at the door and knock, and if you, if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in, and we'll share a meal together as friends. That's the invitation, my friends, that if you'll open the door today, everything will change. Your whole life will change for the better. You'll begin to see that God is good. You'll experience joy, hope, peace, redemption, forgiveness, everything that your heart longs for. And it's all yours because this Resurrection Sunday we celebrate that God is still making appearances. Amen, everybody? And here's how I want to wrap up our time. Somebody play something soft for me. Give me something, give me something a little soft. I love it. That's good. Set the mood. Let me say something to you. I want to I'll take out your connection cards again. I would just love to see you do that. But this is a moment for, for some reflection. And, I, and as well as update your information and maybe tell me the messages you want to hear. But I, I, want, to, I want to know if you'll just reflect. You don't have to write this down. But this, because it's reflection and we're not going to share this with anybody, this is just for you. But So you can be completely honest with yourself, I hope. I want you to, to categorize yourself in one of four places. A, you're in a relationship with God already. It's meaningful to you. You love it. B, you're at that place. You know what, Aaron, I'm ready to begin a relationship or maybe even return to a relationship with God. And if that's you in a moment, we're going to pray together. So you've already got a relationship with God or you're ready to begin one or maybe you're, you put yourself in category C. So you know what, I, I still want to consider this invitation. I want to think about it a little longer. And I want you to know that that's okay. God's not scared of your doubts. In fact, I would encourage you, if you're somebody who's doubting, come back and be with us this next few weeks and hear what the Bible has to say more about this. Or maybe, maybe you're in category D. You'd say, you know what, Aaron, I never intend to make this decision for Jesus. I never intend to open that door. That's just not going to be me. And if that's you, you're welcome here too. No matter where you put yourself, A, B, C, or D, you are welcome here, and we are praying for you. So here's what I'd love for you to do. We're going to take a moment. The band is going to sing this last song. Please remain seated. Please remain reflective. We'll get out on time, I promise you. You guys came to the early service, so you're going to beat the Baptist to the, to the buffet, okay? You'll be fine. <laughs> Bless God. But I'm going to ask while they sing this next song, if you would update your information. Let me know the messages you want to hear. Write them down on that Connect card. If you're ready to take a step towards Jesus, there's a place on that Connect card you can mark and say, I'm saying yes to Jesus today. But we'll pray in just a moment. But take a moment to reflect as they sing. When they're finished, I'll come back. We'll pray and we'll close. And uh, we'll, we'll get to everything else that this day holds. I'm sure it's time with family, some candy and some, some, some uh, baskets and Mm, all the Reese's peanut butter eggs. Bless the Lord. All right. Let's take some time together.
you bow with your heads with me. We're going to take a moment to pray. For those of you that are here today that, man, God is just tugging on your heart. You're ready. You're ready to make, to reach out, to take a step. Say yes to Jesus. Some of you, maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've walked far away from him and you're ready to come back. Today can be your day. So we're going to pray today. And I just ask you to do one thing for me with every head bowed, every eye closed. If, if you're here today and you're making a decision to follow Jesus, would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me today. I'm making a choice today to say yes to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Now, everybody, let's pray together. And I don't mean just the people who raise their hands. I mean everybody. That's all y'all. Everybody, let's pray together. Nobody prays alone here in this house. They're, 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 they're taking steps to become part of our spiritual family. And we want to pray together. So everybody say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. 
Fill me with your spirit and show me how to live for you. Thank you for dying on the cross and raising from the dead. Amen. Come on, Simple Church, can we celebrate with those that said yes to Jesus today? Man, that's what this day is all about. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.